Auto Line This Week is underwritten in part by... In this epic battle of fuel efficiency and endurance, we're here to see which hybrid has the best MPG. That's the essence of a hybrid soul. But is there more to it? The Hybrid Game MPG Challenge. And now, here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week, where the topic today is going to be about labor in the automotive industry. And that's because my special guest is Bob King, the president of the UAW. Bob, welcome to AutoLine. Thank you, John. Exciting to be here. It's great to have you. Also joining us today are Bryce Hoffman from the Detroit News and Brent Snavely from the Detroit Free Press. Great having the both of you here, too. Thanks, John. Thanks a lot. Bob, let's get into the hottest topic going right now, right to work. Here, the home of the UAW, Michigan has enacted right to work legislation. Uh, my question to you is, what's the impact of this right to work legislation on the UAW? Well, in the UAW as an institution, impact isn't much yet. As you know, uh, members don't get that choice until a contract expires, a new contract is bargained. I'm very concerned about it because we have, in, in my view, the best shop floor relationships we've had with the companies. Everybody's working together. Everybody's focused on the best product for the consumer. And somebody said the other day, I like this line, really, right to work is right to fight. It's about creating divisions in the workplace because if everybody's working together and everybody benefits by negotiations, everybody benefits by due process and all the provisions, the health care, everything that uh, is bargained in the contract, why should some people pay for it and others not? It'd be like going into a community and all of us get the value of the schools and the value of the police and the fire, and then some of us say, well, we don't, we don't want to pay it. Uh, it's just not a fair system. So we, we find in UAW locations in right-to-work states right now, we have a very high percentage of our membership that, that continue to pay their dues because they're good, reasonable people and they want to be fair. And, and I think that's a key, a key point, that you already operate or organized plants that operate in five or six right-to-work states, and it doesn't seem to have affected you at all. No. Or you, I say. I mean, the, the UAW, UAW, very minimally. And, and the UAW, for many years in our Constitution, nobody ever had to be a member of the UAW. If you could choose under our Constitution not to be a member, not to participate in elections, you would still pay your fair share of the taxes. But I never heard that story until this whole right-to-work uh, push happened in Michigan. No, I don't know anybody in the union who knew oh, we, that we, they could pay a fee and not have to pay oh, any money that would go to a political organization. We, we've had members doing that for years and years. Right in our Constitution, it's in our in the Solidarity magazine. When we publish it each year, that information is there, and there are members who take advantage of it. You know, right to work, whether it's right or wrong, it's here now, and, and it's something that the automakers are concerned about, as you know, not yes. just the UAW. I mean, I, I've been hearing from Ford, from GM, and from Chrysler that they are concerned about how this is going to have a potentially disruptive impact on the shop floor when it goes into effect. How are you going to work with your members to avoid that, to, to avoid making it right to fight? Well, I have to say this first. Isn't that outrageous, the Governor Snyder and the legislature, the most important manufacturing 
business in Michigan, the thing that's providing the most middle-class jobs now, that contrary to the wishes of all three companies and the union, just because of political vendetta, went and enacted right to work. So, you know, we, we are we, it, in the in the states that we have right to work membership. Uh, Joe Ashton, our vice president at Chrysler, was just in Wentzville. I think 3,700 members and 24 are not paying their dues because so members are fully engaged. They know the value of the union in terms of providing better wages and benefits and providing due process. And now, really, in the last three or four contracts, giving them so much more of a voice in quality and productivity and health and safety and economics. You know, we were talking about German companies. Really, in Germany, you have co-determination by legislation. Mm -hmm. When you merely do a comparison of the two systems, we have co-determination by bargaining, right? We have all these programs that we do together jointly. Bob, you, you filed your annual report recently with the uh, Department of Labor. It mm -hmm. showed some, some membership growth. Yes. What's, what's driving that membership growth, and what kind of uh, success are you having right now with uh, organizing uh, suppliers and, and transplant uh, automakers? Well, the, what's, you know, the turnaround of the industry, obviously, is driving. The fact that we bargained, number one priority was to thank America, thank the taxpayers, make sure that we made investment in American towns and American facilities. Plus, really, we want to demonstrate, when I first became president, I talked about the UAW, the 21st century, 21st century UAW, and, and you know, it's fine to say that in words. We're demonstrating every set of bargaining that we're in, that we really are about the success of the companies. We know that's in the best interest of our membership. I always say no one's got more at stake in the long-term success of the company than the people at the shop floor, both blue-collar and white-collar. And so our members are really engaged in quality and productivity in all these areas to make the company successful. So we, we've, we, and we've had some real success in, in organizing and, and gaming's probably been the biggest numbers that come in the OAW in Atlantic City and Ohio, a number of places around Connecticut, a number of places around the country that we've organized gaming employees, mostly dealers and people in the cash system uh, in, the, in, in the gaming industry. We've also done some higher ed organizing, and then we've had, to a lot of people surprised, we've had some really strong successes in the South in uh, part suppliers. So all those areas, uh, we've had a lot of success. And I think this year is going to be, because we did all that while we had other priorities. You know, one, one in 2011 was bargaining, in 2012 was President Obama and all the elections. And we still did organizing, and we still had success. Now we're like our number one focus is organizing. There's no distraction. So I look at this year as being a really good year for organizing and bringing new members into the UAW. You've seen a big increase over the last few years, but isn't that mainly because the auto industry went into such a hole? You know, everybody cut back on employment. They've been roaring back, but my sense is we're probably just about to plateau in the auto industry in terms of jobs coming back. What's your read of the situation and how much more can your membership grow? Well, it all depends on volume, right? If, if we keep growing market share, if, if General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler keep getting more customers back in the showroom, selling more vehicles, then we'll be in a position not too far in the future, I believe, that they'll be coming to us and saying, hey, we're gonna have to open new facilities. Yeah, so I think the potential to grow is really there. That's why we're so committed to quality. I mean, our members on the shop floor understand, you know, maybe all the public meeting that we all took 
you know, we want to make absolutely certain that people know that UAW members make the best quality vehicles delivered to the customer, the best vehicles at the best value. And we want that reputation. So our members every day really focus on that. But isn't it, isn't it also key to, to try to reach out to the foreign automakers? I mean, when you were elected president, Bob, you, you made a major goal of your administration right. to organize one of the transplant automakers in the South. You guys have had an office open across from, from Nissan's plant uh, you know, in Mississippi uh, for uh, several years now, no closer that I can see to, to organizing that factory than you were when you started. How important is it to, to crack the nut of, of the Asian automakers it, it, to growing. It's important for, number one, for the workers in those facilities, right? Those workers don't have due process. They don't have the security. They aren't treated with full dignity and respect. Having a UAW contract would mean a world of difference for the workers in those facilities. You know in all those facilities since the last convention, really beginning before then, but they've done basically 98 or or higher percent of their hiring has been temporary employees. They're not putting on permanent employees. Now, because of our organizing efforts, I'm going to predict you'll start to see that change. I'll predict that some of these transnationals will start hiring permanent employees as a way uh, to slow down our organizing. And guys. Nissan has already said that they're going to do they're, that. They're, yeah, they've been talking about it. Let's, yeah, let's yeah, see if they do yeah. it. I hope they do. Um, so, so I feel like We've made just that impact makes a huge difference. One of the things that, that I know is that we want fairness for all workers. You know, UAW has always had this great tradition about, and it's right in our Constitution, about not just being for our members, but being for everybody in society. And so I think having organizing drives in all those locations, the, the expenditure resources does help the workers in all those facilities. And I think we are getting much closer to some breakthroughs in, in transnationals. I won't say this year, because I've been quoted on that about five times and not been accurate. But anyways, but I'm, I'm, I'm very upbeat. I think we're making a lot of progress. Um, I, think work, I think that the success of our members in the auto industry, these profit-sharing checks that our members are getting, that all the stories about UAW members and how much they care about quality and what a difference it is. In a UAW representative facility, you can disagree with your supervisor. You can disagree with the plant manager. You can disagree with the CEO of the company about whether they're doing the right thing on quality or not. And you're protected. In a non-union place, if you disagree with your supervisor or maybe he or she gets embarrassed because you had a better idea than they did, you can face retaliation in that situation. You don't have the protection. You don't have the due process the UAW member has. So I think that a lot more workers are seeing that. I think there's a greater awareness of a lot of the inequities in America, and workers realize that when unions were growing and they were bargaining better, better contracts, everybody in society, union and non-union, did better, right? Public education, when, when unions were a higher percentage, amount of dollars per student was much higher than it is today. Unions have a real impact in a democracy in building a middle class and maintaining a middle class. And I think as more people have that awareness, I think you're going to see more support. It's, what's really exciting in Canton, Mississippi, is a community group that's come together. They led the campaign. They did the, In the kickoff of the campaign, the public announcement of the campaign, there was no UAW representation in the room. It was all the community leaders, religious leaders, political leaders, community, different nonprofit groups in the community that came together and said, these workers deserve to have a right to have a union. All, I mean, their main focus is make it a fair election process. Let the workers decide if they want a union or not. Don't threaten to close the workplace. Don't threaten to retaliate against people. 
don't attack workers because they want representation. And, and that's, and we're, now I'm also excited because we're building this global uh, network of people that support organizing. In, in Nissan and Mississippi, we've had Japanese union reps down there. We've had Bra uh, two or three delegations of Brazilians. We've had French unionists go down there. We've had kids from what our Global Organizing Institute from China and Japan and Korea and Brazil and Australia, all these places around the world, the people have come down there to see what's going on, and they're shocked. A woman from China said to us, a young woman, or maybe late 20s, said, we've got more rights to join a union in China than you do here in the United States. I mean, that's outrageous. And so there's a growing awareness that Americans who care about a middle class, Americans who care about fairness and justice, are standing up for saying workers should have a right to decide if they want a union without fear and intimidation tactics from the employer. You, you talked about international coalitions yes. that, that you have worked on. <clears throat> uh, you, you've had discussions with uh, IG Metall in, in uh, Germany. Could a German-style works council work at an assembly plant for representation here in the U.S.? I think absolutely. Say maybe in Chattanooga? Yeah. I think absolutely. I, um, I've always been impressed with the co-determination system. I think, it, I think that one of the reasons the Volkswagen is arguably the most successful company in the world is because in every single one of their facilities, with the exception of Chattanooga to this point, they have employee representation. They have, and, and what, what's really interesting is, is that everybody's represented in the Works Council, right? Union members, non-union members, white collar, isn't, blue isn't collar. Isn't that a corporate bylaw of Volkswagen that no matter where in the world, their workers have to be represented by a Works Council? It, that doesn't necessarily mean a UAW, though. So how would you fit into that? Well, in, in the United States, you can't really do you can't do the Works Council without the workers being in a union. So if the, if those workers want to be have a Works Council in Chattanooga and they want to be part of the global Works Council that uh, Volkswagen has. Then they would first become UAW members, and then we would bargain a works council system uh, for Are you that. Talks workplace. with Volkswagen. I can't say that. Okay. John. Okay. I have to ask. <laughs> but no, we, you know, let me say this: we we reached out early in in this administration. Our, our secretary treasurer Dennis Williams and I, Dennis has got responsibility for the transnationals. We reached out to every single CEO in the auto industry: Koreans, Germans. Japanese, everybody. And we began a series of discussions. We agreed we would keep them confidential about which companies we were meeting with or which CEOs. I think we had some really productive discussions. And, and I, in a lot of cases, I think they said, well, we like what you're saying, but we don't really know whether that's true or not. I think coming through the 2011 bargaining, the work that we do every day with Ford and GM and Chrysler, how we really partner together, and it, it, it is very much like the Germans. It's, there, there's not full agreement, but it's constructive conflict. It's a constructive disagreement that you have. I think you come out with better results. But, you know, he, one thing that I hear from, from, particularly from some of the Asian automakers, mm -hmm. is, you know, you talk about a different UAW mm -hmm. that, 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 that is working with Ford, working with Chrysler, working with General Motors to improve quality and improve mm -hmm. productivity. And there's certainly a lot of proof points that mm -hmm. show that. But the thing that I hear from from some of the foreign automakers is they see things like the UAW's efforts to to, to join the Occupy Wall Street movement mm -hmm. and and things like that, and they say, "What's changed? This is still a confrontational organization with a with a political agenda that makes us nervous." And you know, th they say on the one hand, Bob is telling us 
this is a different union. We're a partner, not an adversary. And on the other hand, we, we see him telling people that we're going to train you how to do civil disobedience sure, and things sure. like that. How do you, what do you say to that? I hear that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that we are an institution about social justice for everybody in society. And you can look at the labor movement, the women's movement, the civil rights movement. There's never been progress in expanding democracy, expanding the middle class, unless there's been a movement supporting that. And what I would say about the work that we do with the community, I don't hear so much about Occupy because we didn't really join Occupy. We supported Occupy. We had a number of Occupy people in different UAW offices and some involvement support because their basic uh, complaint, we, we totally agreed with that there's been this tremendous disparity in, in equality in the United States and economic equality. So we'll always be on the front edge. We're very involved in the immigration fight. You know how much Walter Ruther and the UW was involved with Dr. King. Sure. We were the only union to support the march in Washington. We housed uh, Dr. King during that process. We're very uh, involved in the immigration movement now to make sure that we believe that every human being deserves to be dealt with dignity and respect. So in the fact that what I would say to the head of whichever company you want to pick, yeah, we'll be involved in social movements. We always have been. And we, we believe in nonviolence, we believe in working together, and we believe that you have to create that bottom-up pressure to get real change in society. And, and in America, we need real change. We've gone way far away from the democracy we were. We've got people that believe that they can change the laws to take elected people out of office, to say that you don't have a right to vote or I don't have a right to vote. There are things going on in America that we're gonna stand up. We're always gonna stand up for the right of the individual and, and the right to have a real democracy. So I think the two are consistent. Uh, they may not always see it the same way, but in their countries, and if you ask them to look at their own countries, and they'll you know, arguably have got more equality and, and more uh, fundamental democratic rights protected than what's going on in the United States right now. In, in 2007, the UAW agreed to a second tier wage, mm -hmm. um, but because of the recession, a lot of that hiring didn't really begin until fairly recently. Um, how, how do you now see the second tier wage playing out um, and, and where do you see that going in, in the future for the UAW and contract talks? The second tier was extremely important for the turnaround of the companies. The second tier played a huge role in the amount of work that we've been able to insource. Uh, and we believe in everybody being treated fairly. So I don't know what the ultimate solution is. I know that it, one of the positive things about the second tier was it did lay out a ladder and a path that people could eventually be at, at the full wages. Um, we, we, want, we want people, when I came in within 90 days, I was, making, I was doing the same job and making the same as a person working right next to me. So I, I think that's a good system, and I think that that creates more unity in the workplace. And you have to do it in a way that keeps the companies competitive. You know, I never want to be in a situation where it's labor costs that are not keeping companies competitive. You know, we, we, we want to partner with companies. You know, I would argue that th there were labor difficulties. There were things that we bargained that were, did not work out the way we wanted them. We had to be smart enough to say, okay, that didn't work. We have to change it. There were a lot of issues about also at the same time about were the companies delivering the products that the consumer wanted. A lot of the blame got put on, on labor. I would argue that the blame should have been shared publicly more. The companies did privately, but publicly should have been more between all of them. So we will, we will bargain agreements that 
give fairness to everybody in the workplace and also keep the companies competitive. And exactly how we'll do that, that's what creative bargaining is about. I don't know at this point, but we'll, I, I'm very, very committed that people doing the same job should get the same rate of pay. And you have to do that in a way and keep the companies competitive. Bob, wouldn't one of the solutions be a path that you're already taking and getting profit sharing? Ford workers, I think, at what, uh, over $8,000, right. which isn't bad. No. Brings that, that uh, two-tier wage up to uh, a better position. Absolutely. But wouldn't the answer be to say, look, let's share in the profits. When times are bad, we all tighten our belt. When times are good, we all share in it. I, I think that that is a part of the path. The, the problem with that path alone is that in the hard times, those people at the entry level are hit much harder than everybody else in the company. So you want to figure out a system, again, very committed to the success of the companies, but a system that is fair to those new workers. And wh how about not just cash, but stock? Would that be anything that you'd entertain, too? That's been done in the past as yes, well. Yes, it has. And we're, we're, you know, we're very they're uh, open. There's nothing that we would say absolutely no to. Let's sit down and figure out. Let's look at the details of it. The devil's in the details. Let's look at the details and will it work for our membership? And to the company's credits, you know, they're working with us every day. You know, actually, we're going to get more investment than what they committed to do in the agreements. That's exciting. There's going to be more workers hired than the benchmarks that they agreed to in the agreements. It's because we work together in this creative problem-solving mode. There are issues that we don't agree on still. There always will be. You know, there, if the four of us were in a company, there'd be issues we disagree on, right? But what, what you want is a culture and a belief that you have to find a solution that works for everybody. And that's what we do extremely well with General Motors, with Ford, and with Chrysler. Well, Bob, you know, you're in a difficult position because you kind of, you're, you're dealing with two different constituencies in one respect. Yep. You're trying to work with the companies and make them competitive, keep them competitive, and you've also, more importantly, got your members who, who you're representing. I want to ask you about something that's happening at Chrysler right now, mm -hmm. which is really kind of testing that, and that's this controversial new rotating flexible shifts system, which mm -hmm. has really created a lot of anger on, on a mm -hmm. lot of the factories in, in, in Michigan, from what I've heard. And recently, uh, an organizer of a demonstration against this system at Chrysler's uh, Warren Stamping Plant was fired by the company. I, I, I wonder, is, is this something that's in danger of becoming a real divisive issue? How do you manage the needs of the company to be flexible and the needs of your members who, who want to who be able to have something resembling a, a more normal work, work life? Well, you know, we've dealt with this issue in, in General Motors and Ford and in Chrysler. And in Chrysler, we have some locations that have sat down. There's a general framework nationally, but a lot of flexibility. This is, I think, a key to creative problem solving, a key to success. A lot of flexibility to work out different ideas and options as long as they meet the goal of getting uh, uh, the production out that we need to get the vehicles bought so we can expand and grow. So it, it, the creative problem solving is a big piece of that. And, and in the locals that have really engaged and come up with different ideas to the credit of both that local leadership and management, we've worked out systems where the members are much, much happier. There are other ones that are still in that process, in the middle of the process, that members are not happy. I hear it just like you do. I get emails or talk to people, run to people at the store and things. So I'm, I'm aware that it's a problem we haven't totally solved yet, but we are working on it. I'll also say this, I've got a lot of respect for Chrysler, we work very well with Chrysler, and that member never ever should have been suspended. I don't agree with that, but we'll work that out. Chrysler's a good company, we're having discussions about that now. We feel very, very strongly that was his right 
and he was protesting us, but we're saying he's got a right to protest us. That's America. Was that the reason, though? Because there was other uh, information coming out of people in the plant sharing quality problems. You know, and I don't want to get into all the details of it because, again, we have a very solid relationship. We haven't had a problem come up in Chrysler that somehow mutually we haven't been able to find a resolution that works both for the company and for the union. I'm very confident in this situation. We'll find a way uh, to resolve the issue. We, it's, it's a good example of something that we disagree on, but we're not letting that destroy the relationship. We, we work together every day. You mentioned suppliers earlier and that you're having yes. some success in the South. Can you tell us more about that? And, I mean, there sure are a lot of jobs that could be organized on the supplier side. There sure are. You know, I guess I'd start with this. We've got, just like we've got really strong relationships with the with the OEMs, with Chrysler and with Ford and with General Motors, we have very strong relationships, whether it's Lear, whether it's Magna, whether it's IAC, whether it's Johnson Control, all these companies, Matalson, a new company that came in from Mexico, outstanding relationships that we really work together. And a lot of these companies have agreed that in organizing situations, especially if you organize a facility that services the big three, that they say to workers, it's your choice. They don't get involved in campaigning one way or the other. They say to workers, it's your choice. And so a lot of those facilities have been organized. In the South, uh, and, and especially where it's for, for uh, transnationals that aren't organized yet, sometimes the companies put pressure on the suppliers and they don't want them to say that. So we've run traditional uh, NLRB camp- campaigns at Farisha at a Magna facility, at a uh, Lear facility, at a Johnson Control facility, um, and we've been very successful uh, in, in getting large majorities. And then in Farisha, have already bargained the first agreement, no disruptions. The first agreement happened in a rel- very short period of time, uh, overwhelmingly ratified by the membership. So again, we're demonstrating in the South that we work together with management. Workers decide they want a union. That, uh, what we say to orga- workers during organizing drives today is we're working together. Don't ask the UAW to come in or don't want the UAW if you want a confrontational relationship. If you want somebody who's really going to stand up for your rights and somebody who's going to work together with the company, we think that's the best way to get you the best results on the shop floor. With that, I'm afraid we're going to have to close it off. We're out of time here. Bob King, thanks so much for coming on. John, thank you very much for having us. It's terrific. And Brent and uh, thanks, Brent. Bryce, thank you guys. Thank too. you, Bryce. want to thank all of you thanks, Bob. for having tuned in. Auto Line This Week is underwritten in part by and endurance. We're here to see which hybrid has the best MPG. That's the essence of a hybrid soul. But is there more to it? The Hybrid Game MPG Challenge.